Hello, and welcome to the Aquarian Spirals podcast. Musings on astrology, cosmology, practical woo, non-monogamy, and just general witchiness. Your guide to love-soaked revolution and paradigm shift. Hello, welcome to episode number eight for Friday, December 20th, 2019. I'm your host, Amanda Moreno, astrologer, soul worker, paradigm buster, and a big time fan of winter solstice because I got to say y'all, the Pacific Northwest drear is freaking oppressive feeling this year. I've been here for almost 20 years and it's usually fine by me, Uh, but winter solstice in this hemisphere means the light is on its way back, even though we are just heading into the start of winter, according to that system. So today I'm going to go over the upcoming eclipse window and then answer a listener question. And it's a juicy philosophical one at that, so stay tuned. A little update on what you can expect from me coming down the road. My 2020 year ahead readings are now available with details later in the podcast and in the show notes. If you're in Seattle, I'll be hosting my annual year ahead lecture on July, on January 6th at Madrona House Apothecary. That event typically sells out, so get your tickets soon. I'll also be teaching an eight-week course called Astrology for Personal Growth at North Seattle College starting January 23rd. So for those of you wanting live and in-person nuts and bolts style astrology teachings, that'll be a great option. And I promise I'll have some online offerings coming up as well. Other than that, still book a session, you can still check out my Patreon. So let's get to it. On December 25th at 9.12 p.m. Pacific time, so it'll be December 26th for some of you, we have a partial solar eclipse in four degrees of Capricorn, opening up a two-week eclipse window. And I'm just going to kind of riff on this a little bit. So Eclipse windows are the two-week period of time that take place between eclipses. So this time around, we have a solar eclipse on the 25th, and then we have a lunar eclipse on January 10th. Solar eclipses are what we kind of experience as wildcard energy. They're very hard to predict, um, although usually a little bit easier so on the world stage and at the personal level. You can kind of anticipate if you have um, planets or angles in your chart around the eclipse degrees, which for this one is four degrees, uh, that something might be in store for you. One way to think of it is that eclipses are times when a deeper layer of our soul's path is revealed. Um, So a lot of times these windows can be experienced as, as time warps. Time gets all wonky, more so than it already is. Um, And they're kind of like very potent new moons and full moons. And so, you know, a lot of us pay attention to lunar cycles and as eclipses coincide with new moons and full moons. So the one on the 25th is a new moon eclipse and the one on the 10th is a full moon eclipse. It just kind of amps up those energies. Um, Normally with new moons, you know, we say it's a good time to plant a seed, start something new based on either the energies of what feels needed in your life or the energies that resonate with the archetypic play. So a typical Capricorn new moon would, we would say, you know, time to start new things. It's time to really 
commit to your mission and goals and objectives and take practical steps and create strategies to um, meet those goals. But eclipses are a little bit different. I don't actually recommend that people do any kind of like ritual magic intention setting at at eclipses when they coincide with a new moon. And I think that, you know, I have read different ways of thinking about this. And I know some astrologers differ on their approaches here. But to me, a new moon with an eclipse is more of a time to ground and center. So it's not preparing for the eclipse window in that kind of like, oh God, what scary thing is going to happen? But in that kind of like, all right, let me be as focused as I can so that I can pay attention to what happens in my life in the next two months so that I can learn what I need to learn and get the most out of it that I possibly can. Because this eclipse is occurring on the south node of the moon, it does speak to a releasing of karmic patterns. These are specifically karmic patterns that resonate with the Capricorn archetype. So patterns of conditioning, patterns of um, fear, things that we're afraid of, things that society has kind of conditioned us into being afraid of, ways that we punish ourselves or punish others themes of judgment. It is, you know, not lost on me that this eclipse happens on the same day as a very um, major holiday for a lot of folks, and and it's a very family-centric holiday. And I think that, you know, there's this interesting combination of things going on because it's happening on the south node of the moon, so it suggests a releasing. Um, But solar eclipses also kind of mark new beginnings. And so when I take that into context, I think that there could be a really good opportunity here for new beginnings with patterns of conditioning, either from society or family. So if, you know, you have been undoing ancestral patterns or you've been really working on, you know, healthier dynamics within your family or healthier boundaries in your family, whatever that looks like for you, this might be a really good opportunity to put that stuff into play and just go into it knowing that sometimes there is that wild card energy or chaotic energy with eclipses. So you could have, you know, um, things happen that are very unexpected. So what is your strategy? What is your strategy for taking care of yourself in the holiday season? You know, it's not a great time for everyone. So the Capricorn work of practicality can come in here, practical solutions and problem solving, but also really, really relying on and remembering the north node medicine of this time, which is cancer, right? Nurturance and calming down and gentleness and taking care of yourself and emotional self-reliance. So not being too hard on yourself could be really important. And there's this really great opportunity for family scripts, especially harmful family scripts to kind of be part of that releasing process, right? Like turning over a new leaf. Technically speaking, the cycle of Capricorn Cancer eclipses started in the summer of 2018. So we've been in this a while. We'll have one more dose of it next summer. Um, But just watch for judgment and criticism and coldness and any kind of, you know, habitual patterns that you have when it comes to reactions and emotions at this time of year. Another good thing to think about would be how do you deal with or relate to authority? inner and outer, right? So what about, you know, who, 
how are you an authority in your own life? But also, what about at the national level? What does, um, you know, the power structures that we have and the authorities that we are supposed to revere, how do they affect your life? And what is your response to them? Because we also have that, you know, authority word linked to the concept of authoritarianism. And, you know, it was really interesting. I was on a panel of astrologers yesterday, evolutionary astrologers in particular, doing a free online astrology of the year ahead summit thing. So it was a seven hour long thing. You should be able to look it up on YouTube soon um, and see the full recording. But I was all at once pleasantly surprised and also um, it felt very sobering because people were talking about the astrology of the year ahead in these very sobering terms that had a lot of gravity, right? And um, anytime that happens, I feel all at once soothed because I feel like that's how I see things, but also it's a little bit dismaying, right? Like people weren't just focusing on love and light, although there was plenty of that in there and the importance of remembering levity and, and finding joy where we can. Um, but as I say a lot, we are facing the task of accepting where we are as a society and then taking the steps we need to get ourselves through it and start building a world that is life enhancing instead of essentially a big old death cult. Um, and so pondering in this eclipse window, your relationship to authority and authoritarianism and, you know, your reactions to what's going on in the world, because one of the Capricorn mechanisms is repression and denial. Um, this could be a time to make movement there and release some stuck patterns that are, you know, that are ready to go. And this is very much a catchphrase, but eclipses can bring up shadow material. Although, you know, what doesn't at this point in time, really? And I did that big, long podcast edit episode on, on what shadow means uh, a couple episodes ago. But this is, you know, the parts of ourselves that we don't like coming up, essentially. So just kind of paying attention to where you are having reactions and what those mean and, and seeking out therapeutic help if you can or are able to. Um, because this eclipse also takes place with Jupiter being right there with the sun, moon, and south node. Now I have, you know, I have a complicated relationship with Jupiter. <laughs> um, and so in some ways it's like, okay, great, Jupiter with an eclipse, that seems magical and abundant. But if I looked at if I look at it from a strictly evolutionary astrology point of view, Jupiter is a magnifying force. And anything that comes in contact with the South Node has to do with karmic patterns. And so I think there can be that magnification of karmic patterns, especially surrounding um, like I said, fear and attachment to the material world and social conditioning that keeps us repressed or in denial. This lunation is also trining Uranus. And so that kind of amps up the potential for this, this breakthrough energy, although sometimes we say it's breakdown to breakthrough. And it also amps up the, the unexpected components or the wild card quality of this lunation. 
And so I will just underscore again, I think that especially with Jupiter there, we could see patterns really coming up to the surface, like being very blatant, saying, oh yeah, there's that thing I've been trying to work on and I really need to do that now and then release it. But I also do think that this is, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens on the world stage. I think a lot of times eclipses play out on the world stage more so than in our personal lives. And, you know, I'm in my little bubble of being in the United States, but we got some really, really sketchy political stuff going on and getting a authoritarian tyrant impeached in one body of government does not actually do a lot. And we're already seeing um, the Republican Party really push back and and shape a narrative that is entirely based in what they want people to believe rather than reality. And it is some very sobering, if not scary stuff. So again, what is the North Node medicine? It is connecting with family or people who feel like family, connecting with your sense of internal guidance. Um, that can be intuition, but, but cancer is more about feelings than intuition. You know, there's some overlap there, but how are you feeling about something? And then what do you need to do about it? Um, I've had smoky quartz come up as a tool. So just kind of like tangent, but I think smoky quartz would be a great stone to work with for those of you who are, who are inclined towards working with our our allies, our stone allies. Um, but eclipses can bring those faded events that, that feel overtly positive or, or scary. So I think that that is the gist of my eclipse recap. So now it's time for a word from our sponsors, me. <laughs> Proudly announcing my 2020 year ahead readings, your personalized guide to the astrology of paradigm shift. Times of immense transition call for powerful tools for orienting to the vast changes we're experiencing in the world today. Figuring out our own role in this global transformation is how we begin to step into the world as it awaits us on the other side. As 2020 arrives, we find ourselves in the midst of paradigm shift. It's a time of the highest highs and lowest lows. Your 2020 personalized reading is a way for you to make the most of the changes you're a part of. It's a way for you to move through transformation with practicality, clarity, and active hope. The guidance that awaits you in my 2020 readings will not speak of transformation in generalized, nebulous terms. You will receive guidance that speaks to specific ways you can greet the coming year with practical tools for growth and understand more about how to step into your calling in life because there is nothing more important than each of us facing ourselves so, so we have the capacity to, in turn, face what is happening as 400 years of capitalism and thousands of years of karyarchy move aside for something new to arise. The word crisis is a Latinized form of the Greek word crisis, meaning turning point in a disease. It, makes, it marks the point where we surrender to the ailment or beginning the journey of healing. It's a crucial and divisive point in the journey. The astrology of 2020 speaks to that moment of recognition and renewal where we make the decision to act and commit to the journey back towards health. The good news, you're not alone. There are so many like you who are not giving up or giving in and who are seeking help with whatever it is that ails you or concerns you, because you know that as above, so below, the inner affects the outer. And hey, I'm in it with you too. We're here for this. 
These readings, which come as a package that includes a recorded session and PDF, will cover the Saturn-Pluto, Jupiter-Pluto, and Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions, Venus retrograde through Gemini, Mars retrograde through Aries, Saturn in Aquarius, and how all of these affect you. In addition, you'll get a tarot reading and personalized recommendations for specific actions you can take to work with this energy. For more information and ordering, visit www.aquarianspirals.com 2020-readings. So this week's question is, does life get easier or harder as one approaches nirvana? <laughs> Which, what a question. <laughs> I, I really love it. Um, so first off, a disclaimer. I probably obviously don't have absolute answers to these kinds of questions um, or, or any questions really. So as always, I encourage you to take what resonates for you and leave the rest. When I answer questions, I am going, especially questions like this, I'm going based on my experience and where I'm at in relating to these concepts. So I ain't no guru. And even if I was, I'd ask you to listen with discernment and an eye towards your own experience. Uh, also, I'm not a Buddhist, so although I'm familiar with the core, with the concept of nirvana, um, I'm, I'm no expert. But in this case, I'm interpreting the question as being along the lines of, do things keep getting easier or harder as one works through their shit, eventually attaining enlightenment, or, you know, getting to leave said shit behind, or getting off the wheel, as it were. <laughs> so... Normally, I try to be pretty structured with my responses here, but I think I'm just going to riff on this one and, and see where it takes us. So the first thing that comes to mind is that a few years ago, I was, I was paying attention to an online debate between astrologers about the questions of fate versus free will and evolution, you know, with, I guess, the goal of evolution being to this kind of hierarchical thing where you attain some, I don't know if it's superiority or nirvana-like state, but in any case, one astrologer was saying that folks with more chaos and breakdown in their lives were less evolved, and that folks, you know, as folks evolve, you can tell because things get easier for them. So you, you might or might not be surprised to know that this was a cis white male speaking, uh, but I was <laughs> I was so annoyed. And it wasn't just because I was like, you know, I have some ego investment in the idea of the fact that I do my own personal work and yet my life is constantly in crisis. Um, but, you know, th there's also this awareness that evolution in and of itself is not an inherently positive progression. Evolution kind of overlaps with adaptation and Adaptation is not necessarily for the, the, the best, right? Like adaptation, it, humans are really good at adapting to stupid shit, you know, behaviorally speaking, but also organisms adapt under pressure from environmental stimuli. Like no light, great, our eyes will just seal over and stop seeing. Is that good? Uh, not if you end up needing your eyes again or, or not if you remember sight, right? So it also brings in like ethics and morality and all of that stuff, but hierarchical notions of one form of existing being better than another are just really problematic. Um, 
And so shortly thereafter, I was reading a book by Dane Rudyard called Astrology in the Modern Psyche. I think that's the title of it. And he's one of those heavy quotes, fathers of modern psychological astrology. I, I really enjoy his work a lot. And he was talking about what happens when someone starts adding consciousness, especially adding consciousness to their patterns and shadows. So doing that kind of like self-reflective insight work, especially of the depth psychological kind. So like not just, you know, rationalizing things or choosing a up, up, up model, but going down into the depths. And as that happens, what he's saying is, you know, we become aware in that process of the good parts of ourselves, but also the bad. And it's the bad parts that start taking on gravity and manifesting because that's what we need to work on. Right, so they get, they get heavier, uh, the, the difficult or the challenging parts. And so he was essentially saying that as someone starts really digging in, things can actually look quite a bit more chaotic. Not always, but like that's a really fair and reasonable outcome of shining a light on your own inner darkness, right? Then you see it and you claim it as your own rather than projecting it into the world around you. And it can get tricky. And I like this explanation much more, even though it's still a pretty privileged perspective. So having the option of doing inner work and self-work requires you to have a certain freedom from focusing on getting your survival needs met, you know, and in some ways it's like, it's, it's a helpful framework for those of us who it works for, but also it's not a way to explain the world at large. And now I guess returning to the original question, I want to cover a few things. You know, I'm not sure if the questioner is Buddhist or practicing Buddhism, um, but as much as I love Buddhism and find a lot of value in what I know of it, it's also important to note that like Christianity, Hinduism and, you know, Christianity, Hinduism and other major religions, um, Buddhism is also a salvation based religion, meaning, you know, this thing we got going on here is bad or heavy or complicated and we're striving to attain something else ultimately which is, it's problematic, it's complicated, right? You know, although, again, I'd say Buddhism is incredible, and I actually really love a lot of the tenets, it's important to keep in mind that it, salvationist worldviews all have that, that feeling of, like, this, this here bad, this body here bad, this existence here bad, and if you work hard enough, you will get to something better, and you can see that in capitalism, and you can see that in the ethos of manifest destiny, right? So just always good to be aware of lenses. The other thing is that Buddhism's adaptation in the Western world is, is also highly, highly problematic and, and complicated. Uh, there's a book called Buddhist Practice on Western Ground that I always recommend that talks about it in depth, but Western culture is so different from the culture from which Buddhism arose. So, you know, for Buddhism, ego annihilation is the goal in a lot of ways. And and the thing is that in Western culture, we are very egocentric. You know, we don't, most of us grew up in these kind of like nuclear family four wall type of experiences, whereas, you know, the process of raising a child into existence is very different in Buddhist cultures. And I, that's, that's not a bad thing. We just, in Western society, we have very developed egos. And I'm referring here to ego as the function 
um, of the psyche or as part of the psyche. It's the part of the psyche that helps us to orient our experience by giving us a label for ourselves. So I am Amanda, Amanda, daughter of Susan, and that means certain things, right? I'm not meaning ego in terms of like arrogance or egocentrism or in that kind of narcissistic sense. So Western folks really have to deal with our egos and spirituality and psychotherapy um, in ways that can be relevant to Buddhist practice, but, but aren't always. And I say that here because this notion of whether things get easier or harder, well, that can stir up a lot of feelings of guilt or worthlessness. Like, I want to be a Buddhist sitting in the field totally Zen, but instead I'm over here thinking I'm making progress, but suffering with uh, hemorrhoids and bills I can't pay and everything sucks. And <laughs> sorry to bring hemorrhoids into this, but I was just pulling for an example and that's what came. In any case, um, quick internet search says that the literal meaning of the term nirvana is blowing out or quenching. Nirvana is the ultimate spiritual goal in Buddhism and marks the soteriological release from rebirth in samsara. So soteriology is just the study of religious doctrines of salvation. I think the most helpful framework that I have at this point in my life to understanding these types of really deep philosophical existential questions comes from evolutionary astrology. Um, and their ideas that did not, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way at first. And, and so one of those ideas, which is not unique to evolutionary astrology, but comes from a lot of the world's great wisdom traditions is that we all have this core paradox within us and that is the desire to separate from source and the desire to return from source. Um, and, and our life kind of works on these series of paradoxes, whether they're conscious or unconscious. And you can see some of those paradoxes reflected in the 12 archetypes of the Zodiac, which is essentially six sets of opposites. Um, but the process of existing, of being a soul that is incarnate, is a process of exhausting separating desires, right? So the desire to have money, the desire to have, you know, sexual relationship, the desire to have family, right? And again, none of these things are, are bad. It's just part of our process. And so we go through these, these processes of, of exhausting those desires until all that is left is the desire to return, right? The desire to be part of the all again or part of source or I guess, you know, achieve nirvana. Um, so also within evolutionary astrology is the idea of like different evolutionary states. And that's an idea that I really, really found problematic for a long time. And I still do to some extent just because of how it's used, which is somewhat hierarchical, but it's like a lot of people are just in this kind of consensus framework, right? Like they're learning about how to work within the laws of our society. Okay. And then there's people who are on more of a individuating path. Like they're seeing what parts of society or their own lives don't work and trying to figure out a little bit more of who they are so that they can break down those outdated structures um, and come into mo more coherence with their soul's calling. And then there's people in what's called the spirituated state or spiritual state, which um, 
I think that sometimes when it's talked about, the spiritual state is something where people are like, oh, I'm trying to achieve the spiritual state. But there are trials within every state. There are, there, you know, if you think of like somebody who's becoming more aware of their surroundings, of their connection with source, of their connection with their higher self, there's still a disillusionment process that happens, right? Whether it's, you know, they become a guru who then falls from grace or they follow a guru who falls from grace, right? There's, there's lots of nuance to all of this. And so within every phase of a soul's development, of a person's development, there are highs and lows and there are um, opportunities for pitfalls and for learning. And so, um, I don't, I don't want to make this into like the question of, does it ever get easier, right? So as we get closer to nirvana or exhausting our returning desires, assuming we haven't taken a bodhisattva vow, which is essentially that agreement to keep coming back until all beings, all sentient beings um, have also achieved nirvana. Uh, I don't think, you know, it's like, does it ever get easier? Oh, the answer is no. That, that's not what I'm thinking. But I'm hesitant to say that it's not so much, you know, it's not so much a matter of it getting easier as we resolve our separating desires and have the experiences we need to have. It's a matter, I think, maybe of having more detachment, less attachment to suffering. And that's one of those, you know, Buddhist precepts that is really vast and nuanced and doesn't get communicated well in a headline. And we live in a headline culture. So people will be, I don't want attachment. I'm not attached to suffering. And that can be a form of spiritual bypassing, especially in Western culture and a way of avoiding the pain of the world. Um, but I think that the detachment I'm talking about involves more compassion uh, more compassion for myself when I'm suffering, more compassion for others, but it's not this like boundaryless self-sacrificing kind. And I think it's also less attachment to emotional states, right? So like, uh, you know, I think it's one translation of this kind of Buddhist precept is that you, uh, something happens in your life and you feel angry and you want to be present with that anger, right? And let it flow through the body and let it ripple out and see what it has to say, right? Anger in itself is not bad. It's actually empowering. It's rage that gets really problematic. But in that process, you don't want to get attached to it so that you become an angry person, right? You're a person who experiences anger, but you're not an angry person. Um, and I think that that being open to those processes um, is more where it's at. And I, I can see that kind of progression even when I'm going through something intensely emotional, like a grief process or something, right? Like there's shock and then those ripples of grief that rise and fall for a while, maybe years. And, and in that period of years, there can become an attachment to that identity, right? Like I'm a person who is stuck in grief. I will never get over this, right? But usually there's, there's some distance that happens maybe integration and eventually there's detachment which you know allows us to cultivate compassion for other people when they go through similar processes remembering oh god that was so hard that's where empathy comes from all right so i think it's also just really important to take race and class and privilege into consideration here which i've spoken to a little bit but 
you know, can you tell someone who is dying of starvation or who is struggling to like keep a roof over their heads that it would get easier if they just worked harder to attain enlightenment and like, oh, what? <laughs> that doesn't work there, right? Um, so again, there's a time and a place for everything, but I also just want to have reverence for, you know, what causes us to ask these kinds of questions, right? Like, is it ever going to get easier? Um, and these are really deep soul level things that I think um, are worthy of looking at with a lot of intention and probably unpacking in spaces, whether that's through art or in therapy or with an astrologer or with other people who can, who can hold space for, for not polarizing on these issues. So I think that I am going to end it there. Hopefully that gave you something to think about. Um, and a reminder to everyone listening that you too can send your questions in to hear me kind of babble ramble about them. Um, they can be questions like the one I just answered. They can be questions about your own chart, your own path, about tarot, about learning about these modalities, about depth psychology. I'm happy to take a stab at any of them. Um, and another reminder that if you like what you hear here, it really, really helps me a lot, lot, lot if you give a five-star rating and or write a review and or share on social media, tell your friends, um, please, and thank you a ton. Um, for now, blessed solstice to everyone. This is my, the solstice is, the winter solstice in particular is my favorite holiday because I love celebrating the return of the light. I love getting cozy with friends. Um, and it's just a holiday that makes a lot of sense to me. So if you're one for intention setting, this is probably a good space to do it right before this eclipse window happens. And I wish you all peace and health and wellness.